You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Today, Fly on the Call is back, and so is Perennial. When they were one of the early guests on the show back in fall 2019, they were just about wrapping up their sophomore album. Now it's finally seen the light of day as of February 1st. In the Midnight Hour is an album you definitely want to listen to in the middle of the night on headphones and blast it loud. It's so much more than just a typical post-hardcore or art-punk record. The band really spent their time figuring out all the layers and coming up with this lyrical imagery that, you know, kind of evokes an idea in your head without necessarily coming up with a specific message. It's very much a journey that the listener goes on for themselves. Today on the show, we're discussing the creation of the world of this album, how the live show fits in with their recorded music, creating this headphones album, and you know, bringing in all their tastes as the musical omnivores that they are. This is a really great one, so enjoy. We spoke back in October 2019. Uh, you had est- estimated that you were like 95% of the album done and it would be ready in the spring. So right. I have to ask a bit tongue in cheekly uh, what took you so long? <laughs> mm. Let's see. So uh, part of it was just really taking our time in the studio in, in terms of making sure that we were happy with all the performances and that you know, the sort of, you know, that every lyric was something that we'd, you know, feel like singing five years later and, (laughs) and that, you know, that all, all those sorts of, you know, those, those millions of choices that end up presenting themselves in the studio that we were, we were happy with what we were uh, happy with what we were committing to tape. And then um, we had the album just about done in fall 2019 and then, you know, uh, winter 2020 was when the pandemic really, uh, really was was starting here in the U.S. And we we sort of decided because we, uh, you know, we care so much about playing shows, and that's so sort of inherent to to who we are as a band that um, you know it just it just didn't make sense to us to put out a record that we wouldn't be able to, you know, play play whatever you know 80 90 shows that year in support of so we just decided to to wait a little while and it gave us an opportunity to sort of look at everything one more time and we ended up making some some changes with with that extra bit of time so it it was a long wait but it uh it did make it possible to make the record that we were hoping we'd make where I think we're a lot happier with the version that we're putting out in a couple of weeks versus what we would have maybe uh, ended up with if we had put it out you know, a couple of years ago. And was it like more, were there any like actual like structural changes or was it just kind of like the, the finishing touches here and there? I'd, I'd say both. I think um, there's some songs where we're like the chorus changed um, mm-hmm. where, where the melody and the lyrics are, are different in, the version that we're releasing versus what we 
what we had in in 2019. And you know some of some of the stuff we 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 really like to put a lot of music in between the songs. We like to have a lot of you know intros and and, and outros and and sort of stuff like that. And I think um you know it, it gave us a lot of time to to play with that stuff. So there's I'd say maybe 70 80 percent of the record would have been the same but there's a good 20 to 30 percent of the record that's that's very like post post a certain point um in the timeline so yeah it's 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 a considerably different record thanks to having that time yeah it's interesting that uh you ended up like kind of mentioning that like putting it on pause because of the pandemic because I, i saw a tweet the other day where someone was like you know artists who've released music in the last two years like do you think it was a good idea on like, would you do it again? And I was like, I, my thought as like a fan was like, well, it seemed like the biggest issue was like studio time, but I didn't really think about like what you were saying about like, you know, the ability to play shows and like the, you know, just kind of like the overall, you know, support of the album uh, apart from just like the like PR rollout. Right. I mean, I think with, um, you know, having deadlines is good to like really finish a project and having this floating deadline that we, you know, it's, it's still the pandemic, of course, like we're, we're still, you know, we're releasing it at a time that is a little bit safer uh, than maybe in the middle of 2020, for instance, but yeah, it's, it's kind of. It was kind of nice to have the flexibility for sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about, apart from like the music itself, was like the recording and the mix. Because um, I feel like it's kind of, you know, a, a step up from what you've done in the past and kind of very different in that way. Um, what were kind of like your goals with the the overall like sound environment of the film? Right. Well, 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 thank you so much. Um Part of the reason we, we we reached out to to Chris Teddy to to engineer and and co-produce the record is is just hearing the the other albums that, that Chris has made and they they all sound so crisp and and lush and and rewarding as recordings. But um, in terms of our specific goals, I, I was really enamored with this idea of making this whatever this post-hardcore record or this punk record or this garage rock record that also sort of worked as a headphone album as something that you could that you could listen to and and pick out the different layers or the different interesting sonic choices or sort of the the left turns that you wouldn't necessarily expect from from um sort of loud guitar music that, that suddenly you know the song turns into this or suddenly there's this whole other sort of harmonic element or these instruments get brought in that that you wouldn't necessarily uh, anticipate. So we we really wanted to sort of be that all these songs would have sort of one life live when, when we're playing them and then um, have this sort of own unique presence when you're sitting down with with a, with a pair of headphones, really, you know, giving it that time to to sort of inhabit that space. So that was that was you know, we we wanted something that was uh, that was that was detailed and, and layered. And that. yeah, and we spent a lot more time in an actual studio for in the midnight hour than uh, for symmetry, uh, which gave us you know access to better tools and also you know instruments that we don't own. Um, 
And it gave us a lot of freedom is sort of a strange word to say about, you know, being in the recording studio because, uh, you know, playing around too much can be, you know, can be really costly. Um, but, you know, having having the tools and having the support of Chris um, allowed us to have have some space for freedom of play and ideas for sure. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense what you were saying about, you know, wanting it to be like a headphone album because like I have a pretty good pair of like uh, bookshelf speakers in my office that I do most of my listening on. Um, I was like the first few listens of the record I heard is how that's how I listened to it. Um, but then like my first, you know, listen with headphones was like a totally different experience. Like there's so much kind of like space in the mix amidst all the like chaos. <laughs> that was something that really stood out. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was definitely, uh, you know, we, we, we definitely subscribe to that Fugazi approach of there's drums in the middle. There's, there's guitars, you know, all the way on either side, as far as you can go in, in each headphone. And then there's all this space in between those points to, to sort of, uh, color in however you want to. And we really had a lot of fun with, with always saying, okay, here's, here's what, immediately this could be this could be two guitars and an organ and drums but what else can we come up with that's maybe a little more adventurous or a little more interesting or or uh less our sort of immediate answer to what should go here let's let's try our second or third or fourth guess and see which one which one we're excited about at the end of the and in the studio you can be much louder (laughs) that's that's true and recording at home Recording at home, you only have so much time before you, you feel like you're being a nuisance to your to your neighbors or something like that. Whereas in a studio, you, you have you have, all, you have all the time in the world, especially with somebody as patient as Chris, who who I think also was was pretty inspired to try and make this unconventional, you know, this unconventional pop art album. Um, you know, so so everything just really aligns it to help us make the record that we were excited about making. So the weirdness on the album was just to make Chris Teddy laugh. <laughs> <laughs> there there are a couple of those, honestly. <laughs> and sometimes it worked. <laughs> there are a few things where we'd be, we'd be at the very end of mixing, just sort of doing final listen throughs. And we would just be laughing saying, mm-hmm. I can't believe we're, we're going to do this. We're committing to this, this choice or, or, or this effect or, or whatever. And I just, I, I love that idea that, <laughs> that there's this, there's this sense of fun there, even if it's this loud, fast right. record. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like a couple points where it feels like kind of like one of those like video montages where you're like flying through space and then things like zoom pass coming in and out of focus, like switching channels and stuff. Like uh-huh. how do you kind of, you know, achieve that while like juggling all the layers of, I love it. I love this question. I think that, you know, we, we all, all three of us really love movies. And so maybe we were, you know, thinking a little visually as we were uh, moving the layers around. I do really, I've almost only listened to it on headphones. Um, and I really like, like panning and the like shifting where it feels like you're kind of moving you know, even if you're sitting down, you might be sort of moving because uh, 
sort of shifting through your ears. It's kind of cool. Um, but visually, I don't know. I do. We were just talking about this earlier. I really like albums where it feels like when you put it on, you're, you are sort of uh, entering whatever world that album has, has sort of created where there's, where either the, you know, there's either lyrics that provide really vivid pictures that you can imagine each time or, or just that, that it feels like there's a certain space that you're always sort of revisiting each time you listen to it. So, you know, we always, we always like that, trying to create that sense of specificity of, of there being a, a, a sort of trademark landscape that you can picture whenever you listen to it. As far as how we achieved that, one of the things that we really did with this album is outside of song structures, we didn't really commit to a lot musically before going in. So we knew where the verses would go and the choruses and the breakdowns and the bridges and all that stuff. Um, but beyond that, we wouldn't sort of necessarily have, you know, we'd have verses where there was nothing musically written besides vocals and maybe the drum part. And so in the studio, we'd be able to figure out, all right, what do we want to have go here? Or maybe we'd be, we come to enjoy how minimalist it is. That's just drums and vocals. And we'll leave it like that. Or, you know, we'll pile on electric piano and tambourine and xylophone, and, you know, uh, Moog synthesizers or, or whatever, you know, uh, vibraphone, whatever we come up with. But I think, you know, choosing the structural stuff ahead of time and then leaving the, the stuff that creates sort of harmony and color, leaving that for what we're feeling as we're putting it together was helpful for for sort of building that uh that mood throughout the you talking about that like kind of reminds me of one of my favorite moments on the album which is uh in the song in the midnight hour where it kind of like strips down to just the vocals then it adds the chunky guitar then it adds the drum clicks and then it kind of like explodes back into full volume can you talk a little bit about that song specifically that song maybe more than any other on the album i think really came from perennial as a live band live we really like to see just how loud we can be and just how quiet we can be. and we really enjoy when we can do one then the other um so so that song we've been playing live for a long time so by the time we recorded it it, it went very very quick mm-hmm. um and I, I think there's you know um what you're what you're noting about it is exactly right you know, the way that that bridge sort of builds and builds, it's, it's a good metaphor for the album in some ways. That's another thing where we, we heard it and it just the way uh, Chelsea and my voices were inhabiting the space all on their own, the texture of our voices, that was enough in that moment. So you give that moment, it's, it's moment in the spotlight, and then you sort of build back up to, to perennial at, at full volume. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that was one of the most challenging songs for me when we added it to the set in terms of uh it's like it's kind of scary to to have that dropout part um but now you know at first um now I really love the song uh I feel like I've in uh it's like super second nature and really fun and I have like all these like you know like things that I do with my arms during that part. Like sometimes I like kind of like uh, mime that I'm choking myself. And sometimes I just like make crazy faces or like 
close my eyes. Like I try to really bring a lot of drama in that part. Um, and it's really fun to perform that song. Uh, but yeah, it did, it did take a lot to sort of grow into that part at first. Cause it was, that was kind of like the, the moment where I was just singing. I mean, it is the moment that I'm singing alone. Um, but it's just so alone and, um, yeah, so it's like, it's a really fun song now, but it was like a huge challenge. Yeah. And I, I remember when we were talking, when we last talked, um, you we were talking about you kind of taking a, a larger vocal, you know, role in the new album. Um, and I think just as much as, you know, the additional like lyrical content, I, I think the, the sound of your two voices just adds another cool like layer to it as well. Can you talk a little bit about kind of like, I guess just that, that process of adding a second vocalist? Yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up in, in a house that encouraged me to stop singing if I was singing along to things, which is really sad. Um, my parents are not evil people. They just didn't appreciate it, I guess. Um, but so it took a long time for me to ever really sing in front of anyone at all. Um, truly like a lot of, um, anguish and fear. Um, but it's something that I'm like the most proud of myself sort of getting past that. Um, and then actually like, as we were sort of figuring out the album order, I think I noticed that I sing like slightly less than Chad. And I was like, Hey, what the hell? Like to go from someone who would definitely never sing, even like with a group of friends, like even in high school, uh, to someone who was upset about not having more, <laughs> um, vocals, over vocal parts is is kind of huge I think um but it's really fun I mean I think a lot of our favorite bands do this like the unicorns are one of my favorite bands and they have two vocalists and it's really fun um the deadly snakes have two vocalists right um I love them you probably don't know that band it looks like you're like hmm I don't but yeah they're <laughs> awesome <laughs> no one knows them I've like hardly ever met anyone who has uh who else? Um, Blood Brothers, you know, like a lot of bands that we really admire as a group have two vocalists. Uh, it's super fun to to sing in the band, too. Um, sometimes we like want to just sing instead of play our instruments. Um, when we did the Hives cover set for Halloween, it was really very fun. Uh, I was howling and <laughs> I just sang instead of played, which was very strange, um, but really awesome. And yeah, so I think, I think just sort of both enjoying it uh, and, and sort of to make it more dynamic uh, and give each other the ability to breathe during shows <laughs> that helps to sort of, and like some of the stuff on the record, we don't perform in the same way live vocally, like even on Symmetry of Autumn Leaves, there's a few parts that Chad sings on the record that I sing live and vice versa. And that's just kind of a lung capacity at the moment thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There's there's aesthetic reasons in that, I think. I just, I just like when there are lots of different textures and and tones to to music and 
it's it's cool that we have two different instruments right there's just chelsea's voice and there's mine and and they're so distinct and you know um when I'm when I'm shouting at the top of my lungs, that sounds so different from when Chelsea's doing it. So we have all these different ways to to build drama in a song. So there's there's artistic reasons, and then there's like Chelsea was saying, the practical reasons of live, where we're really trying to throw ourselves around on that stage and and you know and jump around and really be something that's fun to watch. But in practical terms, that means that sometimes we are really out of breath, and so there's songs where I know I can. I can just, um, you know, throw myself around with abandon because Chelsea's handling the vocals and I don't have to worry about sort of, you know, being able to breathe um, <laughs> because Chelsea's going to handle vocals and I can handle the the running and jumping around and then then vice versa. If it's a song that, uh, that I'm singing a bit more of, it, it frees Chelsea up to be a bit more animated. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of layers to, to why we do it. And like you were saying, the Blood Brothers, the Unicorns, the Temptations, the Beatles. There's yeah, so many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so much of so many of the great artists that we that we really, really love feature that vocal interplay. Mm-hmm. It came pretty natural to us. And even like the, you know, you're talking about like the the sound of the live performance, but also kind of like the visuals, like especially when like you're singing together, kind of doing like the dueling like back and forth. Like I can imagine that kind of like really being something you know your eyes following your ear figuring out like where the noise is coming from and stuff too exactly (laughs) yeah we 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 certainly play into all that stuff as well and i mean perennial's always been kind of like this very like autumnal like nighttime band um and you kind of like fully embraced the the spooky side lyrically on the record as well um can you tell me a little about that and kind of like how that became like the the centralized theme I think it's just something that at first we kept coming back to. Um, and then after a while, we, we sort of thought, all right, well, let's just, let's just keep pursuing this. And it, it became this, this premise that could be approached in so many different ways. So, so if we're talking about, you know, if we're, if we're talking about sort of, you know, the dead of night, right. The witching hour in, in the middle of the night, that can be really, you know, exciting and, and poetic and beautiful, or it can be, kind of scary and haunting right and uh, i think we were just fascinated by that idea that depending on perspective and depending on how how you turn that subject into poetry there are just a million different ways to write about it so um i really like when albums have a perspective or when it feels like artists are pursuing a particular idea sort of looking at it from a lot of different angles so um again so many of the choices we make are just this is the type of stuff we like, or we like when artists do X, Y, and Z. So we should do, let's make a record that we would want to listen to. And that sort of uh, sort of thematic umbrella that it all fits on. Um, I think it helps make it again, this, this experience that you can sort of visit and have a very clear sense of sort of the world you're in. I think it's, I think it's cool for, I just thought it was a cool idea for an album to announce itself as, this is a nighttime album, right? This is something that, that you put on uh, that you put on late at night, and and depending on your mood, or depending on if you know it's a full moon or it's cloudy out or whatever, or if it's you know if it's if it's Halloween night, it's a different experience than if it's the middle of summer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that we even had the title like very early on. I. Th- um in the process is that right I think we did have the we came up with the title early on 
You know, I think sometimes um, folks write songs and then they figure out the title uh, and probably potentially, you know, name the album towards the end of the process too. But uh, we knew the name early on. And actually, I remember an earlier, an early version of the cover was going to feature this really cool light. Um, I like what we went with. I thought that was kind of a cool image that would be a good album cover. Yeah, it was this really high contrast image of this, this electric light on this, it was sort of very Victorian looking mm-hmm. on this wall, a very Victorian looking wallpaper. It almost looked, it looked like the haunted mansion in, in Disneyland or something like that. Very much that vibe, which is, which is, you know, sort of what we're going for is, yeah. is a, is sort of a, a sort of fun version of scary, I guess. Yeah. Whimsical is what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of like interesting to me that you refer to, um, you know, the words more as poetic than like lyrical. Um, and I think that kind of like fits uh, with perennial style and and your you know your lyrical style, can you talk a little about kind of like your your approach to the the word side of the band? Okay, I'll take this question. Um, I mean, I think we we try we we always write the music first, um, and sometimes it's around like a little bit of a phrase. Um, but yeah, I would say the music is like basically fully fleshed out before we really do um, a lot with lyrics. Uh, And we both write lyrics, like I write lyrics, like I wake up in the middle of the night and (laughs) write something on my my notes app on the phone. Um, Or just like, you know, sort of a phrase or a theme. And we are trying to think of like how to kind of like interest, really clear and cool about capturing that theme. like sometimes we're just like, what is another word for this? And, you know, spend a lot of time sort of thinking about that. Um, yeah. And some, some of the songs have, have like phrases or bits of poetry um, or something that's kind of like stuck in our head, but um, we don't sort of sit down and write music and then write the lyrics out like in one go generally. Yeah, yeah, usually not. I would say, you know, to to follow up on what you're saying and that idea of poetry, you know, my hope is that the lyrics evoke something very clearly, but don't necessarily dictate a meaning Mm -hmm. all that clear. Meaning that that hopefully sort of the the energy or the spirit or the mood or whatever it is, the the particular room in the haunted house that any given song is occupying, hopefully that is is somewhat clear or somewhat uh, evoked but the specifics of what any given sentence or any given line might mean hopefully that's open enough that folks can can sort of you know uh bring what they want or bring what they have to that so that it can it can be their own even as maybe it's at least um capturing the mood we're going for capturing Mm -hmm. the 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 general impression Mm -hmm. but but yeah chelsea's right i don't think we've i don't think there's a single song that we've written lyrics for and then added music i think we really let we really let the music dictate it we really let uh the sense of play in terms of the way the words are put together and the way we might trade vocals back and forth Mm -hmm. that's always really really important how the language comes 
Yeah, I think that idea of kind of like offering an impression makes a lot of sense. And I, I feel like that almost comes through uh, musically as well with like, you know, most of the tracks are under two minutes and like they, they don't kind of like adhere to the typical like verse, chorus, verse, like song structure fully. Um, how do you kind of like go about like experimenting in that way? What kind of like draws you to that uh, style? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of how we write music and how we approach our our style is um, thinking about the live a live show, what we can do, what we want to do, and and keeping it short and fun and light, uh, you know, involved. It keeps the audience interested. And yeah, I think, and you know, just sort of kind of the style of of this type of music overall I think would be redundant almost for us to have a song that was like four minutes long I think we would just do you know a two minute song twice kind of thing um yeah yeah I think that's I think that's all I would yeah I I think so and I think sometimes the songs just sometimes they'll dictate what they want to be um so for instance food for hornets I think it's literally a minute long. I think it's literally 60 seconds. And it it's an intro to establish the riff, one verse, a, a sort of bridge, one chorus, and then the same riff as an as an outro. So the only part that repeats itself is is the sort of riff of the song. And as we were putting it together, it just didn't feel like there needed to be a second verse. It felt like it was more interesting for to be sort of always doing something new um and each part of the song it pretty clearly announces what it would be in a traditional sort of verse chorus song structure but um just something about the energy of the song and how sort of uh sort of wild and and electric that song is it just i felt like if we were really sort of trying to capture the spirit of the song it made more sense for it to be whittled down to just it's it's minimal uh building blocks so sometimes it's sometimes it just it just feels right that something is shorter or Mm -hmm. or that some some odd part in in halftime is more interesting than another verse or whatever it might be and you know uh we we're all such omnivores as music listeners so we're always sort of drawing on different things that like or different ideas that we notice like, oh wow that you know we should try that but this way and so a lot of that comes out in, in structure I think and I think you know a lot of times we're writing songs in practice so we're at practice we're we're getting ready for a show running through the set a couple times and then maybe like a little bit of jamming happens or somebody has like a riff that they want to try and then we sort of expand on it until we sort of have like you know, a baseline level, and then we'll record just a little demo and the voice memos. And, you know, we'll be like, I bet that was not, you know, a minute and four seconds. And then, you know, it's, it's usually about that. And it's kind of funny to us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned kind of like being omnivores musically. Um, I think two of the times where that especially like stands out to me on the album are um, like Soliloquy for uh, Neil Perry, which is kind of like almost has like a funky groove to it. And then, you know, like the outro to like I'm the Wolfbane Crane has like, you know, definite retro vibes. How do you kind of like go about, you know, bringing that wide breadth of influences underneath the perennial umbrella? Hmm, that's a great question. 
Um, I, I think one of the one of one of sort of the the overarching premises of the album, or one of the goals we set for ourselves, was let's make you know a, a fast, loud, post-hardcore record, but let's make sure that we're never editing ourselves or 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 artificially uh, limiting the possibilities of of what we can put into that template. So, you know, we all we all like punk and, and garage rock and, and post-hardcore and hardcore, but we also really like 60s pop music and jazz and soul and um, electronic music and dance music. So we wanted to make a record where we could really sort of fully express ourselves and fully express the stuff that we love and that we love listening to. And that isn't just you know, loud, distorted guitars. So um Sometimes it was sort of a, a deliberate choice of, of oh, here's a, here's a good moment. Here's a, mm-hmm. an open space we left ourselves where we can, you know, explore this sound. So something like I'm the whooping crane at the very end, right? It turns into sort of a, a very sort of Motown stacks sounding um, sort of a bit of music. And that gave us an opportunity to, to, to do that. Um, you know, it's some of our, some of our favorite music is that, that 60s soul sound. Um and something like Soliloquy for Neil Perry uh, really came from how much we love uh, how much we love uh, the Beatles or or the Jam, uh, especially when they're in that mode of of sort of taking that that sort of '60s mod sound and adding sort of a bit of an a bit of an edge to it or something like that. So, um, so that's sort of where where I think a lot of that song came from in particular. So we're really thinking in the mode of like, uh, of sort of mid career jam or or uh, sort of the the mid sixties Beatles. So a song like Paperback Writer that um, is is ultimately you know it's it's a classic Beatles pop song, but it's also got this sort of very early punk garage rock uh, bite to it. So we're, so that's a very it's a very sort of fine balance to strike, and we, we just wanted to see if we could do it too. So it's a lot of what went into that is that that very early you know, mid '60s version of punk or rock or, or yeah that sort of thing. I'll just say that I think we wanted to try to do some things that were unexpected on what kind of album you might think from a band that is I don't know post hardcore or dance punk um and sort of just add some of those other elements in um just as sort of a yeah a fun a fun uh treat for everyone i guess for sure yeah um and i mean we've been talking a bunch about you know how the live show plays into perennial um and i know you've played a lot of sweet ones in the last you know six months or so um I gotta ask, as someone who hasn't been to a DIY show in two years, uh, how have things changed? <laughs> ah, well, hmm. yeah. I mean, it's it's it is definitely strange to be at shows in masks, um, and in general, it's very strange to be in crowds. I I think um, generally we're playing to an audience we can't see their facial reactions, so that's. Um, 
it's a little difficult because we really we used to like to go out into the crowd and like sing in people's faces and so now things have have had to change um and I think that uh I think that bands are a little bit more supportive of each other it feels like a little bit of a you know we're we're here together this is really special we missed this and that sort of carries on um at shows but yeah it's still it's still kind of weird for sure and I do uh I do miss the days when I can see people's faces because I let you know we really love the audience interaction and so it is hard to you know kind of balance the line of being as safe as possible with uh you know not being able to see people's faces and having fun and all those all those elements yeah but they're still they're still happening sometimes in different places they'll be ready for you when you're ready for sure <laughs> and then i always like to wrap up by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately that you wanted to share music mm. life or whatever else yes your your lovely question um i remember this so i think i would say one piece of advice is to do your best to get enough sleep because it's excellent <laughs> yeah i'll uh i'll echo something i've 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 said uh quite often during during perennial shows which is um you know, if you've always if you always thought about or have always dreamed about making something, starting a band or or you know taking up painting or writing a novel or composing a poem or or you know you want to make your first uh, sort of DIY student film because you want to be a filmmaker or whatever it might be, um, you know today's today's the day. Whatever day you're listening to it, whatever day you're listening to this podcast, um, that's the day to start. You know, to take that that first step towards doing that. So, you know, if 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 you want to make your first movie, you know, uh, start with that first storyboard, or or open or open that notebook and start writing down ideas. Or you know, if if you want to start a band, start writing down what you think you want that band to be. Um, or, you know, if if you think you want to take up writing poetry, write that first poem. Um, you know, you'll you'll find that that really quickly you'll begin. Um, you, you know, you'll begin uh, sort of loving it, and you'll you'll also be really happy that you that you took that first step. Um, it'll it'll come as a relief, and it'll come as a source of joy that, that you finally you finally got started. So that's that's what I would recommend. You know, uh, whenever you're listening to this, you know that's the day when you can you can start uh, pursuing that project that you've always dreamed about. Wait, did you listen to your last us. episode when uh, to prepare for this interview? Because I did, and that's that advice sounds suspiciously similar. Ah, <laughs> uh, did you do that? Last I'm just. Time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is good advice. The hardest, the you know, the first step is the hardest one to take. So you try to do uh, something that inspires you. Yeah, and, and last time I compared it to me starting the podcast, and now I can compare it to me getting back into the podcast because nice. that's really been what. Uh, has been the thing is just forcing myself to start doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll, I'll add one new piece of advice. Uh, listen to Otis Redding. Thanks so much to Perennial for coming back on and sharing the unique world of In the Midnight Hour. I'm always excited to talk to Connecticut fans. So much of my community is online, which I truly love and appreciate so much. 
but it's also cool knowing that others are physically around doing really rad stuff. Make sure to pick up In the Midnight Hour today, or maybe tonight. I think you'll really enjoy it. Before I go, I just want to say that one of my favorite things about Fly on the Call is that it's really dictated by my taste and what I'm passionate about. I can go from a really, you know, heavier sounding band like Perennial to uh, the other night I just had my first ever hip-hop interview with an artist that I'm really excited about, and I can't wait to share that one with you guys in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for, you know, listening to the show, kind of believing in, you know, my taste and my vision for the show. Um, it really is the biggest compliment in the world when people understand what I'm doing with Fly in the Hall. So thank you very much, and I can't wait to show you more. Fly in the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Jariah for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyInTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyInTheCallPod at gmail.com. Start today. And also, listen to Otis Redding's Doc of the Day. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.